Look at uh, Acts chapter 9 and and, uh, starting from the, the first verse. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked uh, for them to ask them and asked him to letter, have letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will there be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of uh, Israel. And I will show him how much how, how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may be see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, Paul's conversion was probably uh, one of the most important events, important events in the history of the church. Out of it flowed his incredibly influential uh, missionary journeys and the huge body of testimony and, and doctrine and teaching that we find in the book of Acts, but particularly in all those letters that he wrote to the early Christians in the early churches. And yet it all started so unpromisingly, didn't it? So, so negatively. Paul, or Saul as he was originally known, was the arch antagonist against the early Christians, the early church. In the passage that uh, I've just read, we, we see him still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Notice that word still, still. His was an ongoing, determined and and bitter rage against the church. 
He was to take no prisoners. Remember as he stood by at the stoning of Stephen. Let me read to you the opening verses of chapter 8. The actual uh, stoning of Stephen uh, is recorded and the death of Stephen is recorded in chapter 7. But at the beginning of chapter 8 we read this. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. You know, you can almost uh, see visions of the Nazi Holocaust in what, uh, what Saul was doing, can't you? Going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Yes, Saul certainly was a nasty piece of work as far as the early Christians were concerned. And you know, at the time, you could almost be forgiven uh, for thinking that he stood absolutely no chance whatsoever uh, of redemption. Whilst I was preparing uh, for this morning, I looked back at a sermon I'd preached here some 18 months ago. I referred then to an American army chaplain, Henry Jericho, during the Second World War. And he was charged with attending to the pressing emotional needs of the notorious Nazi war criminals during their trials and just prior to their executions. And I quoted at the time uh, the words of Hans Fritzsche. Hans Fritzsche was Hitler's uh, propaganda chief at the time. Uh, and he wrote this uh, after... Uh, the, the war was over. after the war was over and uh, he said this he wasn't obviously executed Pastor Jericho's view was that in his domain God alone was judge and the question of earthly guilt therefore had no significance so far as he was concerned his only duty was the care of souls in a personal prayer which he once made aloud in our queer little congregation he asked God to preserve him from all pride and from any prejudice against those whose spiritual care had been committed to his charge. It was in this spirit of humility that he approached his task, a battle for the souls of men standing beneath the shadow of the gallows. A battle for the souls of men standing beneath the shadow of the gallows. You know, I wonder how I would have reacted uh, how I would have behaved in Henry Jericho's situation. Saul had been struck blind uh, from his encounter with God and was taken down to Damascus to be ministered to by Ananias. And you know, in the same way, I wonder how I would have felt in Ananias's position, this notorious persecutor of the church, uh, of those early Christians. You know, perhaps... I would have reacted initially as, as Ananias did. We read in, in chapter 9 and verse 13, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So it was quite an ask, really, wasn't it, for, for Ananias. Go, this man is my chosen instrument uh, to carry my name. I really like the, uh, the way the Message Bible puts it. Uh, it says it quite succinctly. 
And God's reply to uh, Ananias was, go, don't argue, go, don't argue. I recently come across a, an American theologian and apologist by the name of Dr. Norman Geisler. He died a, a few years ago. And he once commented that there are two qualities largely missing from the church today, indeed from many Christians, and, and I found myself being really challenged by his comment. The two qualities are conviction and courage. Conviction and courage. Ananias had the conviction that he should undertake this uh, work for the Lord by contacting Saul. He clearly had the conviction as to what he should do, but he also needed the courage, the courage to do it. You know, does that sound familiar? How many times have I had the conviction of what is the right thing to do, to say, to undertake for my Lord? And yet, have I always responded in action? Have I always had the courage to carry it out? Perhaps the Lord's call to you and the Lord's call to me often comes very much as a surprise, as the uh, title of today's talk suggests. Clearly, Ananias was surprised at the call he received. And you know, I don't think we should uh, underestimate the obedience and the role that Ananias played in all of this. No doubt the early church was surprised at the Lord choosing Saul, this, this arch-persecutor uh, of the church, to become the evangelistic giant that he did become, the primary leader of the early church, and to leave a legacy uh, of teaching and theology that's become enshrined in God's word in the Bible. Of course, through scripture, the apostolic word is, is complete. Our task... Our task is to take that word to a lost and puzzled world. Jean and myself recently uh, met up with some old colleagues of mine and their partners from where I used to work. We were part of a, a group of Christians that used to gather periodically at lunch times to have a time of fellowship and, and prayer and Bible reading. And apart from the usual reminiscing and, and nostalgia, we talked about how to be faithful in, in, in preaching God's word. One of the things mentioned was that we don't seem to express the danger, the danger of a lost eternity for people outside of Christ and his salvation. Some time ago I watched a, a, an evangelistic sermon by Billy Graham from one of his crusades on, on YouTube and I was struck by how forcefully Graham uh, was. You know, he certainly didn't mince his words are you going to heaven when you die? Or are you going to hell? He challenged his audience, using the words of Paul himself. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A challenge that we all have to face, that everybody has to face. You know, we don't seem to hear such challenges these days, do we? Perhaps it embarrasses us. Uh, perhaps it frightens us. Perhaps it makes us feel too uncomfortable to consider, to talk about. I remember when I was a young man uh, hearing a member of the church that I attended preaching and he really spoke with great animated passion about the destiny of people outside of Christ and his glorious salvation. Saul's destiny, Saul's destiny until he was confronted by the Lord on that Damascus road. And I remember going up to him 
afterwards with the temerity of a, of a teenager and challenged him, saying, I thought you laid that on a bit thick. I thought that was a bit strong. And, you know, I've always remembered his reply to me. It's stuck in my mind ever since. Barry, he said, if I saw someone standing on a railway line with an express train bearing down on him, I wouldn't whisper. I wouldn't whisper. You know, Paul rarely whispered. Billy Graham rarely whispered. You know, we can't pick and choose what scriptures we want to hear, uh, what we want to talk about. What, we can't edit out certain parts. I'm reminded again of Billy Graham, who pointed out that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. But he then went on to remind his audience of the great saving love, the great saving love of God, a love that sent his son uh, to the cross to die for our sins, to take our punishment, as we remembered uh, a little while ago, to suffer for you and me and for all humanity. But to rise, to rise victoriously, defeating death. As Paul put it in writing to his friends in Corinth, quoting loosely from the book of Hosea, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The verse in Hosea that Paul was quoting from, Hosea 13 and verse 14, uh, is even more striking. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? And Paul went on to remind uh, his friends in Corinth, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the wonder of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. I'm expecting some amens coming around. Uh, thank you. Um, it, it, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. That's the good news that we have to proclaim. Proclaim to the people of Mid-Sussex. Proclaim to our friends. Proclaim to our neighbours, to our families, the glorious truth that has been proclaimed for some 2,000 years since Christ's defeat of death on the cross at Calvary. A song that was regularly sung at Billy Graham Crusades was The Love of God. The Love of God, I expect many of you know it. Uh, George Beverly Shea used to sing it quite often as a, as a solo. It has this couplet in it. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Reaches to the lowest hell. You know, just like that Second World War chaplain that I spoke about, uh, we shouldn't be selective, selective in who we point to Christ. Ananias was sceptical, wasn't he? Uncertain, dubious about speaking to Saul. But he did. He did with such far-reaching outcome as a result. You know, we should never be surprised at the powerful saving work of our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the creator of the universe. The early church was surprised by the change in Saul, in Paul. But to be a bit more personal for a moment, I wonder if people, neighbours, friends, detect a change a difference in me, in my character, 
in my attitudes as a Christian? Or do I simply merge into the essentially uh, materialistic and secular society that I live in? Would people be surprised to know that I'm a Christian? How much of I, my saviour do they see in me? You know, it's a sobering thought, isn't it? That the only image many people, many people get of the Lord is what they see in me, is what they see in you. A few months ago, I went to a memorial service in London for one of my secondary school teachers. Um, his name was David Broomfield. I also played football with him in the old boys team that we both belonged to uh, on the London, in the London's Old Boys League. You know, he was an absolutely lovely man. And many of my ex-call chums who were there uh, remarked on how, how highly he was regarded, what they thought of him. The service and reception afterwards was held in the church where he was an active member. Yes, Dave, by his actions, by his manner, the way he conducted himself, was so respected by those who knew him, young and old alike. They really did see the image of his Lord in him. A challenge, a challenge to me, a challenge it seems to me for all of us. Some of you may remember the blind singer Marilyn Baker. Probably the most well-known song that the, she sang was Jesus, You Are Changing Me, which has a line in it uh, taken from scripture. You are the potter, I am the clay. The picture depicted in the Bible is that all sorts of vessels are made by the potter for all sorts of uses. And all of these have a special place, a special purpose to fulfill for our Lord. To use the words um, uh, from, sorry, to use the words of C.S. Lewis, he spoke of being surprised, surprised when he became a Christian. He entitled his autobiography, which I'm sure many of you have read, Surprised by Joy. You know, countless people down the ages have experienced the same joy of meeting with the living Lord Jesus as they've given, surrendered their lives to him to experience an experience, you know, which is denied to absolute, absolutely no one. You know, I'm bound to ask you if you have responded to the call of our Saviour and experienced that joy of salvation in Christ like Lewis did. Marilyn Baker's song ends uh, with these words, Jesus, you are changing me as I let you reign supreme within my heart, as I let you reign supreme within my heart. You know, the word supreme allows no rivals, does it? Our role, our, our duty as God's children is to see to it that our Lord does reign supreme within our hearts. And you know, this can only happen as we surrender ourselves uh, completely completely to our Lord, the Lord who surrendered himself completely to the cross at Calvary. The early church was surprised at the remarkable transformation in Paul from breathing out murderous threats to becoming the crusading pioneer of the early church, God's mouthpiece during his lifetime and then on through scripture for everybody. Our encounter our encounter with our Lord may not be as dramatic as Paul's was on that Damascus Road, 
but just as real nonetheless. You know, I remember when I became a Christian, when I first met my Lord. It was at a youth meeting at the church that, uh, that I attended. And I can remember, and you'll be surprised to hear this, and most of you who know me, um, I remember uh, even dancing on the way home. That has surprised you. I can see by the looks on your faces. <laughs> Almost dancing uh, when I uh, went back home. Surprised, uh, no doubt, but surprised by joy, definitely. You know, no doubt Paul himself was surprised as he reflected on his life to the point where he could say to the Christians in Philippi, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How much of our lives, my life, your life, are we willing to surrender to our Lord? To, the, to use the, point, the words of Mary, Marilyn Baker again, to let our Lord reign supreme, supreme in our hearts, to the point where we too can use the words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us so much. And we pray, dear Lord, that we may uh, ponder uh, what you did in Paul's life, and that we too uh, may uh, be able to say that we are indeed surprised by joy, the joy that we have in our living Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live out our lives so that when people see us, they may be confronted with Jesus himself. So help us, we pray, and thank you for your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.